Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy. We dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm Molly Wood. This week, we're getting back to invention. Because like I keep saying, we need everything from the solar panels to the gift wrap to the water bottles to the soap bars to floating cargo containers that run on nothing but air. I know. I love this job. Okay, so this one actually starts with a little backstory. See, I do this other podcast called Futureverse, where my friend Ramanan Raghavendran and I interview climate fiction authors about how they imagine the world responding to climate change, living through it, how it might look, how we'll react, and technologies we might invent to deal with it. And not long ago, we interviewed one of my favorite authors, Kim Stanley Robinson, and we asked for audience questions. And here's what we got. I'm going to ask you one last really fun question because a subscriber, Diana Little, said in, sent in several questions for you, and I love this one. She said, what do you think about the current airship renaissance since <laughs> airships do come up in so many of your books? Well, I love it. I want to take a ride in one, and I hope they <laughs> prosper. I look at the designs. I see the routes. I imagine sitting, you know, in the window seat. They're like, a lot of them have windows underneath you, which is a little creepy. But airships are great. I'm very happy. I would like to take a sailing ship across an ocean. That's not easy these days. It's funny how carbon neutral travel across this planet, it's slower, but it it would it's obvious that there's a desire for it, a need for it, and it would be beautiful. I'm surprised it isn't going faster than it is, to tell you the truth. Maybe it's an investment opportunity. You know, they're the sailing crowd, they love my books because of sailing ships. And the airship crowd, all both of them. <laughs> That's not such a big crowd. But you see what I mean. Yeah. Believe it or not, there is actually entrepreneurship going on in the airship sphere. It makes so, sense. Yeah. 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 Sign me up. I would like to be a passenger. Okay, so turns out there is entrepreneurship going on in the airship space. And the person who asked that question is one of the entrepreneurs. So I'm Diana Little I'm from Anuma Aerospace. We're working on low energy lift for sustainable aviation. And what that means is a new form of lift for aerostats and airships. And usually the first question I ask people is, do they even know what an aerostat is or an airship? And there are three touch points that everyone knows. One is the Goodyear blimp. Mm -hmm. Everyone's seen the Goodyear blimp. The second one is the Hindenburg disaster. Um, and the third one is the Chinese weather balloon that was over the United States and that the U.S. military had to shoot down. Um, and all three of those give really good examples of what lighter than air is good for. And when you start thinking about what lighter than air is good for, you start wondering, why don't we have more of them? Right. 
<laughs> so right. It takes very little energy to lift off, which is something we need. We need sustainable aviation. So let's sort of unpack this piece by piece. Um, first of all, as you pointed out, there exists the technology already for lighter than air aviation that has had actually a long history. Thank you for sending me that long history as far back as 1900 um, <laughs> with mixed results. So I guess, mm -hmm. you know, to answer the question of why don't we have this, why don't we have this? The main answer is helium. Mm -hmm. The second answer is hydrogen, but both of them actually have the same properties. I mean, you have these, these lighter than air gases that lift a vehicle or a balloon up in the air, but they don't want to come back down. So you start having some issues with ballasting. Right. How do you come back down? How do you land? How do you taxi like a regular airplane? How do you load and offload cargo and passengers? It's hard. Um, you have back in the day when they were running hundreds of these trips across the Atlantic, they had these uh, masts. You'll still see them on some skyscrapers. Wait, let me back up even more. Who was running all of these trips across the Atlantic? The Zeppelin Company. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Hindenburg was not the only, it was not the only cruiser. Right? It but wasn't yeah, the only give us, airship. But give us, if you would, for people who don't know, give us that brief history. Like for a, a period of time after World War II, right? There was, in fact, commercial aviation in lighter than aircraft, of which the Hindenburg was one. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, hundreds of journeys, generally from New York to Germany. This is between the wars, so... There was no conflict at that point. Mm. And they were like cruises, but there were also, these were also people, business people going back and forth. Um, there weren't airplanes at that point. So this was an excellent alternative to the surface ship travel, which is the only other way to go. And they took about four days. They were excellent rides. There are stories about people it being so stable that they could like set a pencil on end and walk away from it and come back and it would still be there. <laughs> you know, big windows, beautiful, beautiful air travel. And there are actually some companies out there right now trying to make that kind of cruise travel available again right. using airships, which is cool. Fascinating. Okay, so go back to ballast. So there they were floating along, but they had this minor physics issue. They have, yes, <laughs> a pretty big physics issue. <laughs> so and coming back down. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are a lot of of methods that airship companies have come up with to try to deal with this physics problem of how do you how do you land safely back in the day it was masts which um, and in fact that's still in use today you have these big kind of stationary things that you steer the ship towards and then you hook on um, and then you have a crew a ground crew that you drop lines and they hold it and they lash it. Again, it's very similar to like a ship ship, right? right. <laughs> a, a, a water ship. You come into dock and you have to throw lines and, and all of that. But that's where a lot of the accidents happen mm. is near the ground. That's where the weather is very unpredictable. <laughs> you get weird gusts. So having a bunch of people holding on to this really, really large vehicle can cause problems. Landing it is sometimes a problem, but they, you know, they figure it out. So one of the things that airship companies have done is create hybrid airships. So that's one way they've addressed it, which is it's actually more aerodynamic, more like an airplane. 
but uses that helium to give it an edge, right? Mm. But they have to be pushing to stay up in the sky, just like a plane does. But that way they can kind of point the ship at the ground to go. And so that's a little, that's a little closer to like a sailboat with an engine. Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. (laughs) That's a good analogy. (laughs) Another thing, there's one company that um, has proposed this kind of giant suction cup to land on the ground. Um, And then ballasting also is often, they'll pick up water, they'll bring along sand, but, but it's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's complicated. So what we came up with was vacuum lift using vacuum, partial vacuum in a, in a cell, you know, in a big spherical empty frame. And the cool thing about partial vacuum is that you pull vacuum, you go up, you let some air in, you go down. And it's like a submarine in an ocean of air because mm-hmm. you have that's how they do it with submarines. They fill their their ballast tanks with water to go down, and they expel the water to go up. And had that been done before? Had that been experimented with? Did you perfect it? You just you invented it. You're being so modest here. We didn't we didn't invent the idea. The idea was actually proposed by a monk in the late 1600s. <laughs> I mean, I love this interview so much already. Like this. Is- <laughs> We have like is- cruises across the sky before airplanes. <laughs> we have monk inventions. Just keep it coming, Diana. Yes. Yeah, this guy's actually considered to be the father of aeronautics. There's a picture of this invention in the Smithsonian Museum that's out at Dulles. We, we went and saw it a couple of years ago and we're like, <laughs> I'm very excited. This was one of the early inventions for the idea of how humans could leave the planet. Um, This was before they'd even discovered helium. Wow. So he proposed that you could make these vacuum cells and put them on a ship. The picture is beautiful. It's this old drawing and lift it up in the air. And then a fellow named Leibniz, who was one of the, uh, about 100 years later, he was one of the co-inventors of calculus along with the Mm-hmm. with, oh God, I've lost his name. <laughs> the other big one, the one that we really think about. Isaac Newton. Isaac, Isaac Newton, Newton, of that course, guy, gravity. You know. <laughs> Isaac <laughs> Newton. Um, so Leibniz was fascinated by this idea. Like I said, it was, it, was, it was in the 1700s and he did a mathematical proof since he now had calculus and proved that it was impossible. So then no one has even looked into it since then, for the most part. A couple of other people have. The interesting thing about the impossibility is that there are certain parameters. I mean, anytime you do a a mathematical proof, you have assumptions that you make. His assumptions were that it was going to be made of steel, because that was what they had. Mm. Another assumption was that it was a homogeneous sphere, so it was like a marble, right? Yep. It's all just one beautiful, smooth sphere, very thin-shelled, because this has to be light in order to to actually overcome the weight of itself. And then he assumed full vacuum, that you would actually completely evacuate this sphere. And the math proved that it would go, right? Collapse, yeah. Absolutely true. Um, Absolutely true. You're like, we've done it. (laughs) We've done that. It's proven. (laughs) Yes, we've actually seen it happen. Yes, we have have tested spheres to um, unplanned 
uh, destruction or, or actually planned destruction. We, we wanted to make them, <laughs> and yes, they do, they collapse. Um, but we're not doing that. We're doing a geodesic tensegrity structure. So a lot like the Epcot Center is a good, good kind of touch point for most people, a buckyball. Yep. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but but it's pretty much what it is. And so it's a near sphere and it's using carbon fiber, which is very light and a lot stronger than steel. And then it's surrounded by a, a multi-layer membrane of tension and then air permeability. And we're not doing full vacuum. We're going to about 70% will actually produce lift if you get it big enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 85% is equivalent to helium. You go up to like 92% it's equivalent to hydrogen. Um, going beyond that is pointless. You, it actually doesn't give give you that much more lift and it puts so much strain on the structure that you start getting into the failure modes. Right. Let's talk about what this, I was going to say contraption, but that sounds so dismissive. This invention is going to power, right? Is the idea. Contraption is just kind of a fun word. Yeah. You're creating airships for, the idea is to create airships for cargo, right? That's our, that's our mission. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we've looked at, we got into this because of decarbonization. Okay. We got into this because we wanted to make an impact on the emissions in our world. And cargo has the biggest impact. It also is something we really can't get rid of. I mean, you know, personal action, we can't decide not to ship things around the globe. It's not going to work. We need it for our civilization. We need actually even more access to the ability to send and receive goods to places in the world that currently can't. Uh, The far north of Canada is one really good example. They're having huge issues. Their ice roads are not working right now because of climate change. (laughs) Um, And it is terribly expensive to get anything up there and back. The the midst of Africa with where they don't have coastal access, that's that's a difficult place to get. But even the places we can get to, the coasts that we can get to right now, the airports that we can get to are often disrupted. So this was where we thought that we could make the biggest carbon impact and societal impact. And, you know, we're capitalists. So also it's, there's a lot of money involved. In cargo. Yeah. Pretty big um, business. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our end goal. The we that Diana keeps talking about here is her and her wife, Jamie Little. And the two of them are the kind of people who just have way smarter breakfast conversations than I do. Tell, give me the origin story. How So you were interested in decarbonization and students of history and science, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Both of us are. Uh, Jamie especially has been fascinated by aerospace in general since a very small child. She's been designing rocket ships and, and has written a couple of uh, papers for the Mars Society and went to school for aerospace engineering, did not end up graduating in aerospace engineering just because of actually part of it was she got into it and it just seemed so wasteful in some ways. Mm. I think at that point she was already kind of becoming very ecologically minded and ended up graduating in environmental science and anthropology. It was sort of a, an interesting dual major. But she's an engineer. She's been doing that kind of stuff for a very long time. I'm a software engineer. Um, I'm a 
systems thinker and you know part of our partnership is just talking about what we read, what we listen to, what we're seeing about the world. Um, you know, we we do have children as a blended family, and um, but even if we didn't, I mean, I care. <laughs> right, right. So, so th- this came up. Um, Jamie was actually working for another startup, and they were use they were working on a um, water desalination okay. machine. Yep, a really interesting one, which is another big problem, right? We yeah. like impactful problems. And at the point they were they were experimenting with using vacuum to separate the solids from the water, the the salts. Mm-hmm. It wasn't working, but <laughs> that was that was when the idea kind of went off in Jamie's head, uh. and she was like, "Oh my goodness! I mean, we should be using lighter than air vehicles. Why aren't we using lighter than air vehicles? Because helium, because ballast. This could solve it." So then she kind of worked on it for several years. I sort of knew what she was working on. I really didn't very much. She was very secretive about it. <laughs> and then she submitted the patent and then handed it to me. Oh. Yeah. That's I was amazing. like, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been doing all this time. Just this sort of like a <laughs> exactly. Newton-esque adventure. And uh, exactly. And, and like I said, not the first time she's a, she's an inventor. She, she does amazing things. She's a brilliant, brilliant person. I read the patent. And even though it's very technical, again, I'm an engineer as well. And I, I, I looked at it, I'm like, this could change the world. What are you doing about it? What are you going to do? How are you going to make it a company? <laughs> so <laughs> then there was a little bit of nagging for, um, for a few months. And the more we talked about it, the more I was like, this has to happen. This is so important. What can I do to help? And what came up with that is that she's not thrilled with this kind of public interaction. Mm -hmm. And I have a very long career with a lot of really interesting, you know, entrepreneurs and just amazingly interesting people. Like, well, I can do this. (laughs) So how about I help you out? And I'll do the, I'll do the kind of business side of things and the software Mm -hmm. side and and we can make it happen. So I brought in some advisors who've been amazing, and we keep on bringing on more. I think we're done now, but mm-hmm. a bunch of a bunch of ex CEOs and leaders in aerospace, and we've got a Top Gun aviator on our team. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's really fun. Time for a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how real this is and where it's going next because it's real, and apparently, it's going. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. We're talking with Diana Little of Enuma Aerospace about lighter-than-air ships invented by 17th-century monks, disproven by Leibniz, reproven by Jamie, and about how we make this a reality today. 
So tell me what, where are you now? What is the the status of Enuma now? Okay. Um, so our status right now is that we built a few of these half meter diameters. We tested them. We tested them to, to a point where we were like, okay, we know this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And then we moved away. So we're TRL three, four is what is like lab scale. Okay. We can't demonstrate lift until we build something that's 12 meters in diameter. And that's something that we need to raise money for. So we're about to start a major fundraising. We have a NOAA grant. Uh, we have a grant to do a weather balloon because while our end goal is cargo, we have an R&D runway. Mm-hmm. And each one of these stages kind of adds a capability, but also has its own meaningful mission and market. And weather is another piece that we realized um, this actually came up because people were asking us how we were going to pilot our, our airships if we didn't have the weather data. And I was like, what do you mean? Why we have weather data. I have it on my phone. I mean, what's, (laughs) and what turns out there's hardly any, there's hardly any information about the atmospheric boundary layer, which is surface to about 4,000, 5,000 feet. Yeah. It's just nothing there. And is that because there just aren't that many weather balloons or that's not an area we measure because it's not, isn't that where planes go? It seems like we should know. Planes have, yeah. And planes actually do have sensors on them, some of them, mm-hmm. but they don't, you know, they avoid bad weather. Right. <laughs> right. They try. Yeah. Um, but mainly weather balloons are, there are two a day set off from almost a thousand points on the planet. And they're actually set off in concert It's twice a day. They go up, they pop, the helium says goodbye to the planet, the parachutes come down. So they get about four hours worth of data, but it's only a thousand points, the whole planet. The, the oceans especially are not very well covered and it's a vertical column. So what we're designing for NOAA is a persistent weather balloon, one that actually will surf the winds in a sort of circular pattern, however they can find the winds. This is something that Loon proved that they could do. Yep. And uh, Loon has has been wonderful about publishing all their data. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Loon, for those who are not familiar, was a weather balloon initiative that spun out of Google X, now just known as X. Correct. Yeah. So we have a NOAA grant. We've started working on that. We have our patent has been issued, which is a huge deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah. We have another one in progress, but this one's been issued and we're in an incubator. We have an MOU with a aerostat communications company. So we've, we've got traction. Yeah. We've got some, some revenue, if you call a grant revenue, and we're about to start fundraising. Um, but we do need to fundraise to lift that demonstrator and then start building weather balloons. Yeah. Talk to me about the opportunity. The like, you know, give me, give us sort of us the baseline knowledge about how much cargo is moved by air, the carbon impact of that, like what you hope this market will be, what this market actually is. <laughs> so big. Yeah. Um, huh? It's almost $200 billion uh, market in terms, and that's, that's the, the calculation for that is. Not just air, it is actually long haul trucking and ships and cargo airplanes. Those are the new 
new of those done per year. Okay. Per year. Per That's year. how much they build. And the reason why I say it's all three is because airships can actually take load off of all of those those lanes, is what they call them, the, the kind of lanes of travel. Because what we would take is generally high value cargo or very bulky and very big. Mm -hmm. So you think about like the propeller blades for the wind turbines. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of yeah. one of those on a truck. It's absurd. It's hilarious, actually. It's like comical. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Or, you know, logging or mining, you mm -hmm. know, things that, you know, those, especially mining for high value minerals that are in very hard to reach places. Right. Like the north of Canada. Talk to me about the carbon impact of all of that shipping. Yes. If you get to scale, it is over eight gigatons by 2050. So, and that, that is, it's over eight gigatons. If we start now, mm -hmm. you know, the first one probably be about 10 years out before we fly it. But if we start now and then get to scale by 2050, it's over eight gigatons. And then from there, it just gets bigger. And I, I know, you know, that is a very large number. It's a very large number. If we, if 50, 50 is what is emitted every year, right? 50 gigatons. Like we keep talking about, we want to get from 50 to zero. Mm -hmm. And so if we're talking about eight, that is a significant chunk of the 50. So then talk to me about the, like, what does it take energy-wise to create a partial vacuum? And and are there any emissions then from an airship once it's up there? Right. You know, we use electric pumps. I am not sure if we've quantified the energy requirements to lift it. And that's a, that's a gap on my side. So thanks for that question. Sure. It is not anywhere near the you know, the energy requirements for putting a plane up in the air. But it is certainly more than helium, right? Because helium is nothing. Mm -hmm. Hydrogen has the embodied emissions of what it took to make the hydrogen. And we will have the embodied emissions of what it will take to run the pump. Right. Um, we do have our second patent, which has been published, is actually for using liquid air energy storage as opposed to batteries, because we don't love the idea of putting batteries on our on our long haul airships, actually. We're using solar cells. This liquid air energy storage system would use carbon capture and filter that into liquid air and then the carbon byproducts of the nitrogen. Um, you can turn that captured carbon into carbon nanotubes. We have some contact with a company that does that, which can then actually be spun into the carbon fiber that we can put in the cells nice. and then we embody that carbon, we can actually do a negative carbon, uh, negative emissions, total transport system. Diana Little, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck with the fundraise. If you are an investor listening to this, just, you know, ping me and I'll put you guys in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Molly. I love your podcast. I, I've been following you for a long time. I really enjoy how you dig into things and your perspective. Thank you. Thank you for emailing me. I mean, this is wonderful. It's so, uh, the dream is to be able to have conversations about real life sci-fi. Yeah. Which is, because we can, not only can we all do this, but we can literally imagine a better future. Like there is no reason that we have to keep doing things the way that we've always been doing them. And that's, I think, what is so exciting about talking to people like you and by extension, Jamie. And 
understanding that there are people all around the world sitting at a breakfast table being like, what if we just did this completely differently? Mm-hmm. And then saying, yeah, that's com- that's possible. Let's do it. I love it. Thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Thank you so much for listening. Before we go, and on a much more down-to-earth, har-har, note, I want to tell you about a little daily decarb, as in decarbonization, that I've been doing recently. I found out that toothpaste pellets are a thing. So instead of a big plastic tube filled with toothpaste that you then throw away when you're done with it, and it's heavy to ship because it's full of water, they actually make these little tablets. There's no water involved. They come in a glass jar. In my case, I can refill the jar at the bulk goods store that opened near my house. And you take this little tablet and you just chew it up a little bit and then you brush. It's going to be embarrassing, but I did put a video of it up on Instagram at in the pool pod or at Mollywood Pro. And somehow I'm finding this almost easier than toothpaste. It's weird. It's like zero effort. I like it. And I also got some bamboo toothbrushes because, man, once you start looking around, there's plastic everywhere, am I right? Anyway, check it out. It's a little drop in the ocean, but you know they all count. All right, that's really it for today. Email me your thoughts and suggestions to in at everybodyinthepool.com and find all the latest episodes and more at everybodyinthepool.com, the website. And if you want to become a subscriber and get an ad-free version of the show, hit the link in the description in your podcast app of choice. And thank you to those of you who already have. See you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.